Hello and welcome back to the Archangeli podcast. Today we've got another very special guest, Seb Sinclair. Now Seb, he's an old friend from school. He knows a lot about economics. He's a, generally a smart lad. So how are you doing today, Seb? How have things been? I'm I'm pretty damn good, Ollie. Uh, I'm I'm pleased to be here uh, on your wonderful podcast. It's been, you know, I think the quality has just surged. I'm glad to hear podcasts. it. I really um, appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So today we're going to be kind of talking a little bit about America. I've done one on China. I've done a little bit on Japan. And I think now it's time to do one on America. So we're going to be kind of talking about healthcare. And we're going to be talking a little bit about the markets and kind of just anything in between spending, whatever we think we feel like would be nice to talk about. So let's get right into it. So we're going to start off by talking about American healthcare. And Seb, we hear a lot in the UK about how the American healthcare system is broken. And what do you have to say about that? What is your opinion on the healthcare system in the USA compared to perhaps the NHS? Well, you know, I, I don't necessarily see the American healthcare system as being this kind of, you know, apocalyptic mess in which, you know, people are just left for left for dead on the streets. But, you know, I think that there are a lot of points in which it could be improved. You know, the system that we've got in the UK is, you know, by no means perfect. But I think that the guarantee of having free healthcare for the most part, um, for, for, for all, you know, that is something that is one of the very cornerstones of, you know, the United Kingdom and, you know, for our citizens. And I think that in America, people have, you know, for being the most, you know, wealthy country in the world, you know, I think that it, it's not morally right for people to be going in um, and and really, you know, it's, uh, the biggest cause of bankruptcy in the U.S. is, of course, you know, healthcare bills. And while a lot of people do have health insurance from uh, their companies that they work for and all of that, you know, I think that it, ultimately it's the government's responsibility mm. to care for its own citizens and not put it in the hands of, you know, companies and relying on that. Ultimately, people shouldn't be going bankrupt because, you know, their wife has cancer or something like that. You know, I think that that's just for me, that's wrong. Um, but, you know, saying that, I think that the system, you know, it, it's it's not bad. They do have a very high standard of care. Uh, I, I think it's just that, you know, when when they say, you know, right, here's the treatment that we could do you know, to, you know, really improve your life or something, you know, all of that. And then they say, and this is what we will take away from your life, you know, in financial gain. Mm. So that that's where I stand, essentially. It's it's a bit of a battle. Mm, okay, very interesting, Seb. So, Seb, I've got a couple of points to say about that. So my first point is what you said about healthcare, people kind of being turned away, people losing everything to get healthcare. That's really not the case. The most vulnerable people in society in America, they get Medicare, Medicaid, programs like that, which are there to help the poor receive health care. And this spending the government makes is equal to 60% of total government spending. So it really is a substantial amount. I'm sure that's more than what we in the UK spend on the NHS, which... We also we often hear in the news is a 
big cash cow, it takes up a lot of the budget. Now, I also want to talk about insurance. Most Americans, even from just working a job, get health insurance that covers a vast, a vast amount of issues that will come up. Maybe won't come, uh, cover cosmetic things and stuff like that, but that isn't healthcare, that's something different. Um, so I do disagree with what you have to say for the, for the most part. Um, and even what you said about people declaring bankruptcy, yes, it is 60% of all bankruptcies, but just declaring bankruptcy does not mean that you're going to lose everything. It's actually kind of a way to prevent yourself from losing everything. By declaring bankruptcy, it's not like, oh, I have no money. It's just that it's, it's kind of a tactic um, to avoid paying. Companies, even though they still have money, will sometimes say they're bankrupt. Um, it's an evasion scheme and it's a way to get out of paying as much as perhaps they would otherwise. Exactly. Uh, well, I mean, I, you know, that's all a fair point, Ollie. But I think that, you know, both of us, we, you know, we're certainly we're right leaning um, as it were yes. and uh, you know we like government intervention to a certain extent but you know ultimately free market approach that kind of thing um, mm. but I think the best way in which you know though it's being an overarching capitalist society you know I think the best way in which you know western society can function is when all of its resources so that includes you know all of the labor uh, or you know all of the land all, all of those resources that we have are employed to the you know the maximum amount and when you put in you know you don't necessarily it's not looking it's not like we're not looking after the citizens of you know of of, of america and everything mm. but it's when you put that pressure on them and that you know because if you've got the worry of you know potentially having to declare bankruptcy or anything you know it's not a light thing you know this is this is one of the biggest decisions that you may might make in your life you know it's a lot of stress and when you put that into people's lives you know that very much affects you know the 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 standard of the labor that you would then have so say you've got somebody worrying about their wife and you know having to do that and then maybe having to work two jobs and everything you know while they might might be you know working more hours you know their productivity would you know most likely it would just nosedive you know people can't deal with people aren't designed to deal with that level of stress and i think that it's for me it's it's more of a moral stance um than anything you know while materialistically you know you've got america is already contributing you know massive amounts of money to medicare and programs like that but i think that it should just be almost like a guarantee of a government to its people right you know we expect you to work and we expect you to contribute to our society but we will look after you in exchange and you know that's where we're taking your taxes that's where we're taking you know all of that revenue and all of that hard work you know it's going towards because i think that ultimately you know though there may be some selfish people that don't really fancy giving handouts and whatever you know i i think that the majority of people want a society to work well together you know you don't want conflict you want cohesion you know mm. and i think that you know a, a healthcare system like the uk 
you know, especially in the whole COVID crisis, you know, the way that we've come in, you know, behind the NHS. People Definitely. love the NHS here, you know, whether you're rich, you're poor, you know, uh, the vast, vast majority of people, you know, love the NHS and are completely happy to contribute to it. And, you know, that might not necessarily be, you know, completely the case in America. I think the majority of people there also would be happy to, you know, they, they'd be happy to make more contributions not necessarily, you know, like handouts, but, you know, in taxes, because, you know, I mean, we're seeing whether we like it or not, there's a massive surge in the youth towards Democrats, uh, you know, all of that. And I think that uh, I don't want to see it done in the wrong way. And I don't want to see it as just be an identity of, oh, I'm left. Oh, you know, I, I I, I love socialism or whatever, you know, I think it has to be about individual policies and everything. But I think that if you do it in the right way and the healthcare system is done in the right way and also making it more efficient, you know, there are lots of cases in the American system where, you know, appointments are done for pointless reasons, just as in any healthcare um, system. And, you know, in paying for all of that together, I think that you could, you know, you could make it really good. And if, any party candidate, you know, Republican or Democrat, promised that kind of change and was gave a tangible plan to make that happen, I would completely support them. Because I think that, that for me, that is one of the biggest issues for America. You know, though it's not, you know, oh God, you know, DEFCON, DEFCON 1 or whatever, you know, you know, people aren't, people aren't dying in the streets, but it is, you know, a massive problem and people shouldn't be having to declare bankruptcy for it. I don't definitely, like it. Definitely, definitely, so. So, Seb, you really did make some good points there, and I have to say I agree for the most part. I do like the NHS. However, I think rather than everyone's talking, we need to spend more money into the NHS. We need to spend more money in American healthcare as, as the American government. I disagree with that. I think money should be reallocated towards preventative care. Fat should be trimmed from the bloated mess that is the NHS at the moment and we should really streamline it make it much more efficient so I think by prioritizing healthy eating that's the number one cause of heart disease death I think it's linked to cancer eating fatty red meat all the time um, because in America the poor still eat they eat more than many people worldwide but the stuff they eat the food they put into their bodies is unhealthy and this needs to change. Healthy eating is much more important than treating it. If we can eliminate the root cause of, let's say, 30% of all deaths, of all stuff that needs treatment, we can really trim the money back required. We can make people healthier in general and that would be a really good thing. So by doing that, it would just perhaps even eliminate the need for massive, massive government spending. Perhaps the current system in both the UK and the US would be better up to the task. I mean, in the UK we hear, oh, the NHS is failing this winter. It's going through so much strain. And everyone is unhappy to hear that. And it's because of the issues of obesity, the issues of tobacco, the issues of alcohol which have become so endemic in our society that they have they just haven't been dealt with and it needs to do better. Um, 
speaking on that as well, trimming the healthcare budget, streamlining it. Even in the UK, the amount of circles and hoops you have to jump through to even get a doctor's appointment is insane. You've got to call so many people, you've got to go and hold. It takes a long time, and that just isn't a good thing. It needs to be the fat on it, it needs to be trimmed down. It needs. There's probably so many people there who can be cut out, reduce the cost, and it would save money we'd be able to have more money to spend on education, more money to spend on things that really we want to spend on rather than healthcare. If we could get away with not spending anything, that would be lovely. But because humans are so fragile, the healthcare is needed to keep a healthy country, obviously. So I do agree with a lot of those points, but I think there's better ways to do it than just saying free healthcare for all, let's spend money. I reckon we could get much very similar results or even better results by spending the money in a more preventative thing rather than just sticking a band-aid over it if we were to just build it from scratch. So I think that's the end of the healthcare segment. We've had a very interesting debate. So going to talk a little bit about the economics especially in the coronavirus some people maybe me um are thinking that the gap between main street and wall street or the real the real economy and the market economy that disparity has grown considerably and the markets aren't really representative of how the country's economic health is doing and we talk a little bit about the great depression the 08 financial crash and um, even the recession we've kind of seen since the coronavirus pandemic has sort of ravaged Western Europe, the US. So let's get into that. Right. So my kind of perspective is that though the you know obviously we've seen you know record figures um you know see, seen in throughout you know different stocks and markets and the S&P 500 you know that's gone back to pretty much pre-lockdown levels uh you know all of these the, the markets are performing well much better than expected and obviously this isn't a result of company performance you know other than a few exceptions you know companies like amazon and things like that but mm. for the most part it's what's happened is um mostly america but a lot of other you know most governments have de kind of responded in the same way um in that public spending has massively increased um, borrowing has increased a lot um, to make sure that, you know, unlike the Great Depression, in which um, America essentially said to banks when, you know, and, and people, individuals, um, when there was the Great Wall Street crash and people lost a lot of money and they could not recover it, uh, the governments allowed those, you know, those institutions, those people, they let them go down. And the results yeah. were disastrous. You know, P America did not fully recover for a very long amount of time. Um, 
as as far as you know trust in these institutions you know, financial institutions and things like that um and it was only after really the second world war that america started to once again boom uh mm. and its growth it you know. took the war the the treasury bonds sold to get the country moving without the war i think the new deal would have been a failure sorry for the yeah no no exactly yeah, yeah. no exactly so um from that point, you know, every time we've seen a financial crash, you know, back in 2007, 2008, which is the most recent one other than COVID, um, you know, that that has been, uh, you know, we have learned to respond a lot better. So in 2007, 2008, you know, they, they decided that they were going to let, you know, one or two um, smaller financial institutions fail to show that, you know, the government wasn't there to just infinite money. However, that's that's pretty much what they ended up doing. They gave unlimited loans to, you know, fi financial institutions and people were very unhappy about that. You know, the, the the Wall Street had failed and Main Street were the ones who were having to pay for it. You know, those people who mm -hmm. owned those houses that were based off of, which was what originally caused the crash, it was these you know, these massive uh, homing mortgages, which piled together thousands upon thousands of mortgages into one massive uh, financial asset, which was traded, thrown around, and uh, the reckless way in which it was treated, mm. which is, you know, that's exactly what caused the crash. Everybody was doing it. Um, and this, you know, at this point, this this is a different kind of financial crisis. You know, it's not from actually within the system. It's a shock from outside. But the results are similar because, of course, you know, you end up with these, you know, businesses having to, you know, stop producing GDP falls. Um, and this result, you know, is completely the opposite of uh, of the Great Depression. You know, public spending has skyrocketed across the board and this is what has caused um the the strength of these markets so these these um various different assets so you've got the you know the stocks bonds things like that you know they've all pretty much retained their value and that's as a result of um the government spending i mean in the long term will it be good not necessarily but i think that uh, i mean obviously it wouldn't be as good as you know if we hadn't had the whole thing um but it's better than it would be if we had just, you know, let these companies, these restaurants, these bars, these pubs, you know, just kind of go down. Um, but we will pay for it, you know, just mm. as we saw with austerity. Um, if we do stay with a conservative government, it will probably go the same way. We're going to end up with more austerity. But I think that it's it's ultimately the right thing to do. But it does show that there is actually a big connection um, between the markets and you know because it's all the performance of these markets that determine you know what people pay the you know how many people actually do invest in the companies um, and I think that ultimately it's the right move and it's definitely the right thing to do mm. those are some very interesting points Seb so I'm going to start off about what you said which caused the 08 crash like I, I disagreed that it was the mortgage mortgages in the funds themselves I think it was more the issue of the banks giving out mortgages to people who shouldn't really have got a mortgage. They weren't in the financial security, to, the financial position to pay it if there's any form of downturn at all. 
they just couldn't afford it anymore. Yeah. Um, and it was that which I the irresponsible lending, and it's the bank's fault. And so maybe if it's their fault, should they have been let to fail? I mean, we can argue about it, but the propping up of the banks seems to have worked. I think, especially with the continued public spending under the Obama government. It, compared to the austerity of the UK government, it has the US economy, I think, recovered faster and better than the UK one in the same time scale. But I don't know if that's due to Trump or due to the... When he came in, the markets took a huge spike. And I don't know how much of that is due to the continued public spending. But we've seen everyone's kind of followed America's lead keeping spending high in, uh, in the coronavirus pandemic. But even though the economy itself seems to be doing well in the markets, there's no way that the economy is doing well in in Main Street. In businesses are not doing well. And that's indisputable. Half of them are still shut. Job cuts everywhere. Um, people aren't hiring. People aren't um, earning anything. They've had to cancel evictions because people just can't pay rent. If people can't pay their rent anymore to such a degree that the government is saying, listen, we're banning evictions, then there is something. The economy is not well. And that's despite what the markets are saying. So even though they are intertwined in some way, as in if the market suffers, Main Street suffers, I think we're kind of valuing the markets over Main Street to such a degree that they've become kind of separated and they're less they're less of an entity, um, a combined entity anymore, which perhaps isn't a good thing because the average UK citizen, the average American citizen, they don't know how to access the market. They don't really know the market can make money for people, but you have to have the education and the access to get into that market, which they don't know. All they know is the mainstream economy. And if that's suffering, that affects the lives of those people much, much more than what numbers on a stock market say. Uh, All right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I appreciate the point about how, you know, it, when you're looking at all of these different stock prices and they're just doing whatever they're doing uh you know it just despite these crazy times uh it you know it is weird but i think that ultimately the markets are the ones you know it's vital for them to continue to progress and to keep strong um while these you know while main street is really struggling so uh, take an example of i don't know some big you know british companies like uh, maybe debenhams or uh, you know, and Barclays and places like that, you know, real British institutions, you know, though they may be struggling, all of those companies have in-house, you know, trading teams that take their money, the, the money of their company, and they will, you know, either through an interdealer, a broker, or, you know, just with themselves, you know, they'll be moving that money that they have around and, you know, when they do that, say they invest in one company and then that 
company's value rises and then they sell but then somebody else buys in that company which increases the value of that company they take back any profits they get and raise the value of their own company so really you know though it's all you know if it feels very disconnected which i completely appreciate because you know none of us are the ones doing it you know it's the big companies but ultimately they are working together and those high street names are effectively in a weird way though they're doing it for profit they are actually working together and ensuring their you know their own survival as well as the survival as the other country uh, companies but i think that you know when that happens those companies perform better they're, you know, they don't have to lay off as many um, people as they, you know, as they necessarily might have, you know. And I think that the system that we have now um, within our economy and the way in which money is moved around through companies and people and everything, I think it's the best possible way because it, it effectively ensures that we all stick together. And uh, because the only way you can make profit is by helping out some other company or, yeah. That's pretty much it. So, so a lot of what you've said, you've talked for quite a while, and I think you made some good points, but I think it could have been summarised quite easily with just two words, three words, trickle-down economics. Now, I am a Reaganite. That's what you said is the cornerstone of Reagan's economic policies. Um, and I am a bit of a Reaganite, but I'm going to play devil's advocate for the sake of an interesting podcast. And... Has trickle-down economics really benefited the average the average worker? That's debatable. It's definitely benefited the markets, but because many people don't know how to access the markets, they don't or they aren't interested in benefit um accessing the markets. It hasn't really benefited them, and I I think. Although Reaganomics has increased the overall prosperity of the world, has it done anything for the inequality gap? Um, I think it's widened since Reagan, and I think he's part of the reason why. But as I say to all the commies, all the chappers, all the socialists who come at me saying, kill the rich, eat the rich, no, no, no eating the rich. You're all vegan anyway. Um, And I say, listen... The world is the most prosperous, it's the most equal, and it is the most fair, and there's the most upwards mobility there ever has been, ever. But, of course there's flaws, and every system is flawed, but I think the amount of mobility there is now is good. It has benefited the poor, and it can benefit the poor if we educate them on how to access the market. Because they don't know, they spend their money... They save it in their bank. They don't save it in an investment. So I think if they learn how to invest the money and they're taught how to in schools, we don't know anything about it unless you do economics at A-level yeah. um, or you research or educate yourself. People don't really know how. They hear about Bitcoin, oh, you get rich, but they don't know how to go out and buy Bitcoin. Yeah. So that's that's the issue here. And I think it has benefited. I think what you said is right. But... It's just the issue that we need to be able to... The the way to link the markets and the main street economy is by getting people to participate in the market economy, not just big hedge, hedge funds, not big companies. And what I've got to say about that 
you know, you remember when all the airlines had to be bailed out, 50 yeah. billion or something like that. Yeah. Um, the reason why is because they were all buying their own stocks. So whenever Boeing, or oh, not Boeing, whenever um, um, American, that's the yeah. one, got their profits, they'd spend it on buying back their own shares to artificially increase the price yeah. to do this. And then they had no money left over. So I think... There has to be regulations on yeah. com- companies should not be allowed to just buy their own shares willy nilly because it really doesn't provide any insulation in an economic crisis. And I think that's something that really has to be looked at. And But I disagree with the point about uh, talking about how, I mean, I don't think that, I, I disagree with two points. So. I, first of all, I don't necessarily think that people have to participate, you know, individually uh, to benefit from the markets. So, you know, no, I, I, and, and I think that also, secondly, I think that trickle down economics in its current form, I think the thing, the missing piece of the puzzle that Reagan missed and you, you, you won't like me for this and you'll probably start turning in his grave. But I think that you, need, you just need to pair it with the correct tax policy. And I think Ooh. that now hear me out. Companies themselves, no, because they will just base themselves somewhere else. You know, they can easily do that. Mm. Individuals, no, they can't. You know, um, they can, but what are they going to? What they're just going to move their entire company because we've upped their poli- you know, their tax by five, ten percent. No, they won't. They've got their job here. They've got their entire lives. And the elasticity of people moving, because I think it's a myth that people will suddenly just get up and of leave. Of course it's not true. And, and I think that, you know, I think that you need to do it in the right way. I wouldn't support higher tax policies if it wasn't, you know, like, you know, with something from Labour, um, you know, with the whole Corbyn campaign where, you know, it, they, they said they were going to massively increase, you know, top bracket tax but they didn't say what for they didn't give a laid out economic plan of how you know i don't know know, rail would be nationalized or any of that you know they just kind of vaguely went oh yeah we'll do some supply side policies but what you know there has to be a clear straight line and i think that if somebody or a party can come along bring that plan bring those higher tax rates because you know people here at the top end they can afford it you know and Billionaires, you know, I don't support the whole narrative that, yeah, you know, billionaires shouldn't exist and whatever. You know, I like a good free market, but there has to be more tax on them. I think they should contribute more. And, you know, that has to be, let me let me clarify quickly, that has to be on income, not on wealth. Mm, because right. wealth and income are two very different things. And people say, like, oh my God, Bezos's wealth is increasing, but that's all in his stock and yeah. his assets he only he occasionally yeah. takes out some amazon stock uh, he did that recently he took out two billion and put it straight into his other company which is a one one of those elon musk-esque you know kind of space companies mm-hmm. that they're trying to go into so, and that that could be counted as income but the yeah. rest of it no it's, yeah. and people need to understand that before yeah. they suddenly it's just not go, cash they have just laying around in their mansion or whatever. yeah yeah um, i don't think morally it's right for people to have you know an excessive i don't think people should be having upwards of 10 houses i i morally i don't think that's great uh i like i like the gates people you know i mean i I'm fine with people having big houses, you know, it's fine if you work for it, but upwards, you know, you, there is a, a certain amount of excess 
where I think, right, you know, it's too much, you mm. know. I mean, but it's not for me to say you can't have that. I think, sure, I think you're morally bankrupt, but, uh, but who, ultimately... Who are we to be moral police, exactly? And, you know, if you're talking about morality, you know, though the conditions may not be the best in the world for employees, Amazon employs thousands mm. and thousands of people across the globe exactly you know it, and it's indirectly it's, as well not just via their company yeah the amount of companies that exist solely because of amazon is yeah. huge it's a it's a it's been a global revolution exactly effectively you know yeah. when you're looking at transport and everything but you know my my point is you know i am for tax more tax if it's done in the right way i would even be for the nationalization of of, of rail if if I trusted that, if I trusted a government and a plan that they clearly set out, right, in the right way, I would support it. If it's not done in the right way, I wouldn't support it. it you know, when Corbyn tried to do it, I didn't support it because mm. I didn't see a clear plan for it mm. working and efficiency being maintained because that's mm. what matters. That's yeah. why we have the system we have now because yeah. they don't necessarily compete, but they want to make the most profit. So yeah. although I do think that they should cap rail prices. Because they are too high. Definitely. But yeah, that's, that's kind of my take. Alright, so what you first said about Reagan should have increased the taxes, that's difficult to do so. And um, because of how autonomous the states are in the UK, uh, in the US, like there's federalism, there's states' rights, all because of the Constitution. And you said that people won't move around when taxes are increased. In a place like America, where different areas have different taxes, they do. You hear about, um, for example, Florida. That used to be a red state every year, vote red. And now it's a swing state. They vote blue sometimes, they vote red the others. And the reason why, New Yorkers, they're tired of income tax on their money. They decide to move to Florida, and then they vote for income tax with the Democrats. It's, ha it's happening in Texas from Californians moving out. In fact, just Californians are just going everywhere and spreading their um, their votes out. Um, so it's very difficult for you to just say that. But perhaps in theory, if he were to increase taxes while providing those cuts, um, like his economic policy, it maybe would have worked better. Um, but... Overall, I think it was a success. Uh, so I think this is going to bring us towards the end of the podcast. Uh, so yeah, thank you, Seb, for coming on. I think you've done some really, spoken, made some very interesting points, very well spoken. It's just been a good good debate even though we agree we've managed to find some differences which make for an interesting debate oh, yeah. so i just want to give you the opportunity to plug your socials um thank you and uh, yeah have a there you go I'll yeah sure I'll, I'll i'll plug my socials so uh my my instagram if you want to find me there is uh at seb sinclair underscore 887 uh i don't i don't really do much political stuff a lot of the time but you know i mean yeah it's always good to have a good conversation and i you know i think this is where politics should really be going you know i mean you find points in which you disagree and you you need to find some kind of a you know a, a clear ground a middle ground between the two of you um and you know 
I'm very grateful for having me on the show. Oh, no problem. It's a pleasure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, guys. All right. Um, so, yeah, very good. So if you've got any questions, comments or concerns, or if you yourself would like to appear on the Archangeli podcast as a guest, there is a bit of a queue, but I'll fit you in at some point. Uh, give me a DM on Instagram at Archangeli. That's spelled R-C-H-N-G-L-I. Thank you and have a great rest of your day. Have a blessed day.